I want to uh, welcome all of our online guests. Thank you for joining us every week. We're continuing our study called The Bible Doesn't Say That. And this week we're going to talk about one of our most controversial uh, texts. And so all of you at South Lake, West Fort Worth, North Richmond Hills, put on your seatbelts, okay? I'm going to start with the story I've always enjoyed of the two brothers in a small town. They were the wealthiest guys in town. They were two of the ungodliest guys in town, and everybody knew it. Uh, they were immoral. They were constantly drunk. They bought their ways out of a number of crimes. And so when one of the brothers died, the other brother went to the local pastor and said, Okay, I need you to preach his funeral. And I'm prepared to give your church $1 million if you will say that my brother was a saint. Well, immediately the pastor has a dilemma. What's he going to do? He didn't want to sell his integrity, but the church could really use the money. So the whole town gathers for the funeral. He stands behind the casket and he says, everyone here knows the man in this casket was an immoral, ungodly, profligate man. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. Okay. We live in a culture where nobody's wrong anymore, right? Where everybody's got to be told that in some way or another they are saintly. We live in a culture where no one has the right to say anything or anyone is wrong. Especially if you are a part of what some will call the millennial generation. You have been raised in a world that says there is no absolute truth. That morals are relative and so, you shouldn't judge is a high value in your culture. People like Josh McDowell say that 30, 40 years ago in a previous generation, if you went to any major campus in America and said, what's the best known Bible verse? John three sixteen would have immediately been the answer. But today, go to any campus and say, What's the verse of the Bible you know better than any other? And it'll always be this verse right here. Matthew 7, 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Okay, we're going to take this on. And I'm going to tell you right now, this message has potential to upset people on either extreme of the judge factor. So listen close because I do believe Jesus said, do not judge. And I don't believe he meant what many take those words to mean. So listen carefully and try not to judge me until I'm finished, okay? Because here's the reality. When Jesus said, do not judge, there is no way he could have meant never make a moral discernment, okay? Judgment calls half to be made. If by do not judge, Jesus was prohibiting all moral discernment, then Jesus didn't follow his own advice. People who say, well, Jesus never judged anybody. Read the Gospels. Story after story, Jesus was constantly calling people out for bad theology, for poor attitudes, for unkind behaviors and immoral actions. Jesus used the S word. Yes, I said it, the S word. Jesus was not afraid to call certain attitudes and behaviors sin. And Jesus was not afraid to call some people sinners. 
He used the S word a lot. He made judgment calls all the time. And he told his disciples to do the same thing. In fact, in the context of Matthew 7, where do not judge comes, a few verses later, Jesus says, don't give holy things to ungodly people. Don't throw pearls before swine. You cannot obey that without making a judgment. A few verses later, in the same chapter, he said, beware of false teachers. Measure their fruit. Study the fruit of what their teaching produces. You can't do that. Without making moral judgments. And the Bible is full of calls to do this. Over and over in the epistles we're warned. Don't engage in that kind of behavior. Don't fellowship with people who do things like that. The Bible is full of calls to recognize evil. To name evil. And to avoid evil. In fact the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. So, so listen to me. The Bible says it is wrong if you won't call something wrong that is wrong. I'll say that again because that was confusing. When you see something that's wrong and you won't say it's wrong, the Bible says you are very wrong. But this message is not well received by a generation that feels it's judgmental to impose any definition of right and wrong on everybody else. I was stunned by an article I read by a man named Dr. Stephen Anderson. Now, I don't know if he's a Christian. Uh, This article was in a professional education magazine. And he teaches philosophy at a college in Canada. And he's got a senior class, and he's trying to get them to establish a moral baseline. So he said, I'll just tell a story that everyone's going to react to. So he told a story about a young girl named Aisha, an Afghani teenager. She was forced into an abusive marriage with a Taliban fighter who abused her and kept her with his animals. When she tried to escape, the family caught her. Okay, I'm just sorry for what I'm about to say, but you need to get the gravity of it. They mutilated her. They hacked off her nose and their ears, and they left her for dead. She was found by some American soldiers taken to a hospital. And he showed the picture of this beautiful but tragically deformed girl. To his class of senior philosophy students. And he wasn't prepared for their reaction. Let me just read. I had expected strong aversion. But that's not what I got. Instead they became confused. They seemed not to know what to think. They spoke timorously. Afraid to make any moral judgment at all. They were unwilling to criticize any situation originating in a different culture. They said, well, we might not like it, but maybe over there it's okay. Another said, it's just wrong to judge other cultures. And I wondered, how can kids who've been so thoroughly basted in the language of minority rights be so numb to a clear moral offense? But no matter how I prodded, they did not leave their non-judgmental position. And I left class shaking my head. It seemed clear to me that for some of these students, 
the lesson of character education is acceptance of all things at all cost. It's evident that a good many believe the overriding message is you never judge, you never criticize, you never take a position. Is that what Jesus meant when he said, do not judge? Now, there's a Christian philosopher named J.P. Moreland who goes to campuses to talk to students. And he said recently he was at the University of Vermont. And he was at a dorm talking to men about Christian faith. And one of the students just repeated the common mantra you hear a lot today. Well, that might be right for you. And that's good if it works for you. But you don't have any right to force or expect anyone else to believe it's right for them. So Moreland said, okay. And as he was leaving the room, he unplugged that student's stereo and started out the door. And the student said, hey, what are you doing? You can't do that. To which Moreland said, you're not going to force on me the belief that it's wrong to steal your stereo, are you? And then he went on to point out to that student that, So many today are what I would call selective moral relativists. In other words, they say they don't care about sexual morality. They don't care about cheating on exams. But you take their things, you violate their rights, and suddenly they have a very strong sense of moral right and wrong. And by the way, several weeks later, that particular young man accepted Christ. Because as he began to think, he began to realize if they're are going to be absolute rights and wrongs, there must be an absolute moral law giver. So Moreland suggests we start this new evangelistic method called stealing stereos for Jesus. That's something you might want to think about. Here's the reality. Everybody makes judgment calls. And those that say we shouldn't do it change their mind real quick when someone does something that they think is wrong to them. I made a judgment call this week. So it's uh, an evening, I've had a workout, I'm coming home, my wife needs a few things from the grocery store. I think I'll be a good guy and I'll just go get them for her. But I had on my workout shorts, didn't have a pocket. So I took my wallet, took my phone, I put it in the cart, I went and got the things, I took the cart out to the car, I put everything in the car, I grabbed my phone to check the Ranger score, I left my wallet in the cart. I realized the next morning, I go back to the store, someone has turned in my wallet. But all of the cash I had in there is gone. And I had quite a bit because I had just chased a check to go on a couple of trips Jamie and I are taking. So I made a judgment call. Whoever took my money did wrong. And the Bible says thieves go to hell. And by the way, the paraphrase is thieves of pastors go to double hell. Now that might be a paraphrase, but I made a moral judgment. And the fact of the matter is we all do. And Jesus didn't forbid it. He's not forbidding judgment, but he's expecting discernment because judgment calls for the mind and the spirit of Christ. Jesus was very anti-sin. And his practice of tolerance never accepted people where they were to the exclusion of calling people to where God wanted them to be. I know today we like to say, well, we just need to be tolerant. You know, you ought to look up the way the Bible uses the word tolerate. Because Jesus is intolerant of tolerating sin. 
He said to a church in Revelation, I have this against you. You tolerate this woman Jezebel that leads my people into sexual immorality. So Jesus is very anti-sin. But Jesus is very pro-people to the degree that he is often labeled as the friend of sinners. And that's the tension. Okay? It is easy to hate sin and be very condemning. And it's easy to be non-judgmental and just ignore sin. But Jesus, who is full of grace and truth, models a better way. And the perfect story to illustrate this is in John 8. You're familiar that this woman is caught in adultery. She's brought before Jesus. Her accusers say, should we stone her or not? You know the law says she should die. And Jesus says, yes, it does. And if none of you have ever broken the law, you should be the first to throw a stone. And everyone walks away. And Jesus looks to the woman. He says, where are your accusers? And she says, they've all gone. Now look at what Jesus says. This is, this is so brilliant. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, don't sin anymore. It is possible to judge without condemning. It is possible to name sin and be named a friend of sinners. So when we hear Jesus say, do not judge, we need to hear him in light of of all that he said and did in the Gospels. For example, we need to hear what he said in John 7, verse 24. Don't judge according to appearances. Don't judge rashly. Don't judge shallowly. Don't be a superficial measure of people. But judge with right judgment. In other words, judge well. And that's tough. I said it's easy to be a person that hates sin and condemns. It's easy to say, I'm just going to ignore sin and never judge anyone. But the way of Jesus is the way to name sin and be a friend of sinners. And how do you do that? Well, it's not easy, but here we go. If we're going to judge well, we have to stay with Scripture. Too many Christians say way too much about issues what the Bible says nothing. And what happens is much of our judging is based on our cultural preferences instead of scriptural principles. So here's a simple principle. If you can't bring up the Word, don't bring it up. Okay? If you can't bring up the Word of God, don't bring it up. It's your opinion. Stay silent on the matter. But we must speak up when wrong, according to the Bible, is held up as right. You have stories in the Bible of people like Nathan, who went to David 
and said, it was wrong for you to take another man's wife. You have stories in the Bible like John the Baptist who stood before Herod and said, it's not lawful. In other words, you have violated the word of God for you to have your brother's wife. You have Paul going to Peter, confronting him, saying, it's wrong for you to continue to create a culture where racism can exist in the church by ignoring fellowship with Gentiles when Jews are present. That's wrong. And so, we live in a culture that says what people want to do with their own bodies is their business. But in the Word, there is no endorsement of any practice of sexual expression except for a man and a woman in marriage. I'm not judging anyone. I'm saying this is what the judge says is wrong. We live in a world that continues to endorse racism and sexism. But I'm saying in the house of God, any behavior or any attitude that denies access to the kingdom because someone is a different sex or a different race or they speak a different tongue or they come from a different country is wrong i'm not judging you i'm telling you what the judge has said let me be real clear about something just recently i know it's funded by the government i know many people have no trouble but god creates life it is his masterpiece And when you take life in the womb and you kill it and you take organs and you sell them, that's wrong. No, that's not even that good enough word. That's evil. I think often when Christians are labeled as judgmental, what we're simply doing is we're identifying behaviors that the Bible says are wrong. But God's word stands true, people. I don't know if you heard about this. The giant publisher HarperCollins put out an atlas for schools in the Middle East last year that they were going to sell in some of the uh, Muslim countries. And they left Israel off the map. They just left it off. They figured, well, the people would just prefer that Israel not exist, so we'll just take it off the map. Now, fortunately, this year they put Israel back in the atlas. Here's the reality. Whether you like something or not doesn't keep it from being true. Whether it's popular or not, whether it's endorsed by the masses or not, whether the opinion polls decide or not, doesn't matter. If it's in the Word, it's true. And I'm not anybody's judge, but I must be a herald for the one who is. I know this is a hard word I'm saying right now. I know some of you are uneasy and some of you are saying, well, it's about time he said that. Okay, everybody chill because I'm not through. If we're going to judge well, we must stay with Scripture. But let's keep going. We must start with ourselves. 
There's no condemnation in Christ. But there is correction. And it must begin with a humble and thorough self-assessment. Let's go back to Jesus' words, do not judge. They're in the context of a broader sermon where he is constantly confronting religious hypocrisy. In chapter 5, you say you've never murdered, but you have hate in your heart. You say you've never committed adultery, but you have lust in your heart. Chapter 6, the way you give and the way you fast and the way you pray calls attention to yourself. All through the sermon, he's confronting religious hypocrisy. And then right after he says, don't judge, he says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? When all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Here's the reality. As disciples of Jesus. We have lost credibility. To preach to others what we're not practicing ourselves. Maybe you heard the story back in the days of Prohibition, the preacher, man, he had the church fired up. He said, if I had all the beer in the world, I'd just go dump it in the river. And everybody said, amen. And if I had all the wine in the world, I'd just go dump it in the river. And everybody shouted, amen. And if I had all the whiskey and all the demon rum in the world, I'd just go throw it in the river. And they all stood up and shouted, amen. And then the deacon let the closing song, shall we gather at the river? And that's our problem. We preach what we're not living. Uh, I saw a study that was intriguing recently about, do you know what in your kitchen is probably the greatest health hazard? It's your sponges and your dish rags. That one out of three of them have enough germs in them right now to make you sick. What we're using to purify is in fact so unpurified It's making things worse. I want you to hear me say this clearly. Jesus is anti-sin. And he advocated taking radical steps to deal with sin. In this same sermon, chapter 5, is your hand causing you to sin, cut it off? Are your eyes causing you to sin, pluck them out? Now, obviously those are metaphors, but they are radical metaphors. Making a strong point. Deal with sin, but Jesus Never called anybody to repent on behalf of somebody else. Start with yourself and hate your own sin. This is the consistent word of Scripture. Peter says, it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. Paul says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Listen, friend, it should not shock us that sinners sin. It should not shock us that people who don't name God and follow God are ungodly. What should shock us is that we tolerate so much impurity and wickedness in the house of God while we shout over the wall at the world for being ungodly. Jesus said, put the breaks on calling out the sins of others when your own sins aren't breaking your heart. 
Because here's what happens. The farther we are removed from the days when we were a prodigal, the easier it is for us to start acting like an elder brother. So if we're going to judge well, the last thing we have to do is stick with mercy. Now, I'm going to mention a name that only the oldest members of our church will remember, Walter Winchell. There was a time in the last century when he was one of the best-known Americans. Over a third of all Americans every day read his comments because he was one of the very first gossip columnists. And with a line, he could ruin a reputation. He could destroy a career. People feared him and his constant caustic comments. When he died in 1972, there were two people at his funeral. The rabbi that officiated and his daughter. He received what he gave. How do you want to be judged? Let's look at the very next sentence after Jesus said, do not judge. For you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. We must not let being anti-sin trump being pro-people. And if the way we name sin keeps us from being named friends of sinners, something is very wrong. Here's why. Because we need too much grace ourselves to live that way. James, the brother of Jesus, put it like this. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's a tension we all live with. But when we're in doubt, we need to lead with mercy. And by the way, that includes the way that you receive judgment calls. Do you know what David did when Nathan called him out? He repented and later he named one of his sons after Nathan. In the family of God there should be a culture and a community Where we can be calling each other to the best that Jesus has bid us to. Where we can have real conversations and where we don't avoid the tough conversations as a way to say, well, I just don't want to judge. Because what some people call being judgmental might really be risky love. It might be somebody loving you enough to not let you go down a path that they know will take you away from God. We need to be grateful for the Nathans in our lives. That people love us enough to be our friends and name our sin. And by the way, We need to be especially grateful that God would not ignore our sin.
If God ignored our sin, we would all get hell. But God is so anti-sin that He sent His Son to a cross. And God is so pro-people that the judge took our judgment on Himself. So make judgment calls, but not with a plank in your eye. Make them with the cross in your eye. And let's be judged for loving people the way the judge loved us. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that the Spirit will anoint this teaching. It's a tough tension to live in, God. We live in an ungodly world, a world that is in rebellion. And we are told to recognize evil, to name evil, to avoid evil. But we're told to love people. And Father, we tend sometimes to lean too far one way or too far the other. What we're trying to do is to lean into Jesus and to follow Him, to be full of grace, to be full of truth, To be a real friend to sinners. Help us to remember, God, we're all sinners. And you had every right to judge us. And instead, you took our judgment for us. And so help us live with the cross in our eyes. And mercy in our hearts. Help us to follow Jesus for his sake. Amen.